Welcome to Authors on Tour Live, a weekly podcast for people who love to hear about books from the authors themselves. My name is Darren Fote, and today we are podcasting live from the Tattered Cover Bookstore, one of the premier independent bookstores in the nation, with three locations in the metro Denver area. You can visit www.authorsontourlive.com for a complete list of upcoming podcasts. Wait a minute, it's time to begin. Welcome, everyone. I'm Kristen, and my husband and I are the incoming owners of Tatter Cover Bookstore. And this right here, thank you. This, you guys, tonight are one of the many reasons why we are so honored and excited to be a part of the legendary Tatter Cover. Um, on behalf of all the staff, we thank you for coming out this evening to see Marissa Meyer. And a special thank you to Marissa for including us on her Whirlwind book tour. Marissa really doesn't need much introduction, but I do want to say a couple things. Um, she is the USA Today and New York Times bestselling author of the Lunar Chronicles, Cinder, Scarlet, Crest, and Fairest, and now the book we're here to celebrate, Winter. But winter isn't the end. Stars Above, a Lunar Chronicles collection, will be available in February 2016. So, I would like to introduce the wizardess of wordsmithery, Marissa Meyer. for being here. I am very, very pleased to be here in Denver tonight and that the weather couldn't stop me. Ha! I really had nothing to do with it. The plane was like, it's on time. Yes. Um, but no, I was at the Tattered Cover. I don't think it was this Tattered Cover. It was the other one. Um, a few years back as part of uh, the Fierce Reads Tour, which is when my publisher sends a group of authors to on, out on tour. Um, and that was years ago, and I loved it. I loved Denver. I loved the tattered cover, um, and I hadn't been back since. So every time we're planning a new book tour, I pretty much get to make one request of a store that I really want to go to, and for this tour, it was here. Yeah. So I'm, I'm so thrilled, and so thrilled that I can report back to my publisher that the event was amazing, and you should always send authors to tattered cover. Um, so tonight I'm going to start by answering one of the questions that, uh, has been coming up again and again, uh, ever since I finished winter almost a year ago. Um, everybody seems to want to know how I feel about finishing the series, about saying goodbye to the Lunar Chronicles. Um, and it's been very, very bittersweet. Uh, Winter was by far the most challenging book for me to write of, of the books that I have 
so far published. Um, and a lot of that was on a craft level. Um, as we know, with every book in the Lunar Chronicles, we're adding in more characters. There's new subplots. Um, it becomes just a little more complicated. You know, new character arcs and romance arcs. And now all of a sudden there's a war and a revolution. And there's just a lot happening in this book. Um, and it ended up being over 800 pages. Uh, so there were times in writing it when I thought that I would never be done with this book. Um, it, it, like I said, it took me almost two years to write, which was twice as long as the previous books had. Um, and so there were many, many days when, you know, it wasn't, I, I couldn't figure out how to piece the puzzle pieces together and, you know, I was struggling to figure out how do I balance all of these many stories and, and subplots and would just like be beating my head against the wall. Um, and finally, finally, two years after I started it, um, I, I was done. I finished it. I typed the end and I sent it off to my editor in New York. Um, and the moment that I hit send, it was just this huge breath of relief. And then I immediately started to cry. And that was pretty much the roller coaster of my emotions. Um, and it's pretty much been that way since I finished it almost a year ago. Um, there are days uh, when I'm very happy to be done with this series. And there are other books and projects that I've been working on that I'm super excited about and having a lot of fun with. Uh, and then there are days when I'm like, I really miss Captain Thorne right now. <laughs> I'd really like to be hanging out with Cinder and Eco and all of my friends. Where did they go? Um, so, so it's been kind of a roller coaster. It's been very bittersweet. Um, however, I have loved the last week with winter finally coming out, finally being available for the readers and all of you guys. Um, because just seeing tweets and seeing readers' reactions to it has been amazing. Uh, and I kind of feel like I'm now reliving the story with you guys again, which has been really, really special for me. Um, has anybody finished it here? Oh, lots of you. That is by far the most hands that have gone up at any event so far. Um, I hope you guys liked it. <laughs> um, so yeah, so it's been really, really fun for me now, uh, finally getting to give it to you guys and share it with you. Um, and, and of course, that's one of the wonderful things, too, I think, about books is that you never really have to say goodbye. Um, you know, if you really love a story, you can always go back and revisit it again. Um, and so I hope that some of you will enjoy it enough that you might want to go back and read it again someday in the future. And we never really have to say goodbye. And of course, as was mentioned, we do have the Stars Above Chronicle, uh, Lunar Chronicles collection coming out in February. Um, I don't think she told you much about it. Um, I am not allowed to tell you a whole lot about the collection because we're like making all these big announcements here in a couple of weeks. Uh, but I can tell you that one of the stories is an epilogue that takes place after the end of winter. I love your guys' gasps. <laughs> That's amazing. Um, yeah, so that was really, really fun for me, too. Um, not only because I got to then go back into the world and hang out with the characters just a little bit longer, um, but the, the epilogue was kind of like writing fan fiction for my own novels. <laughs> and it was like, I really just want to write a story where, like, everybody's happy and there's kissing. Um, so that was really, really fun. So I hope you guys will enjoy that when it comes out. Um, so 
With that, that's kind of all I'm going to say right now um, about winter and the Lunar Chronicles that we will have a Q&A later if you guys want to ask me any more questions about it. Um, but for now, I'm going to kind of change topics a little bit uh, and talk about one of my favorite things to talk about when I have a captive audience, uh, which is you guys tonight. You're all stuck here. You came here willingly. <laughs> Um, and that's fairy tales. I love to talk about fairy tales. Uh, another gasp. You guys are the best. I feel like I could say anything and you'll be like, this is the best night ever. Um, so I love fairy tales as might be obvious. Um, and for me, this, that my love of fairy tales uh, is one that's been growing my whole life. It started way back when I was five years old. And I went to see my very first movie in theaters, which was Disney's The Little Mermaid. I loved this movie so passionately. Absolutely loved it. I knew all of the words to every song. Um, I had a huge crush on Prince Eric. <sighs> Eric. Um, and like, I, I believed that if I could stay in the bathtub long enough, like eventually I would turn into a mermaid. Uh, so I was obsessed with this movie. Well, my grandma heard that I liked this movie so much. And so she gave me a little book of fairy tales. And the first story in that book was the little mermaid by Hans Christian Andersen. Yes. I was five. And I read it, um, and if you have not read the original version of The Little Mermaid, Disney lied about everything. <laughs> it's really actually a very sad story. Um, in the original tale, the prince marries some other random girl, and the mermaid dies. I know, it's really, really sad. So I read it, and I, of course, was like, you know, thanks, Grandma. What is this? Um, but then it made me really curious to know, what else is Disney not telling me? And I became really fascinated, and I started reading uh, some of the old Grimm stories and, you know, folk tales from around the world. And that is a curiosity that uh, has continued to this day and obviously has been very influential in the writing of the Lunar Chronicles. Uh, so with that... As an introduction, I would like to take this opportunity to tell you all one of the original Grimm fairy tales. Um, and as we are here celebrating winter tonight, I figured we would do Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs. Yay! After I get a drink of water. So it's like a really long story, so prepare yourself. All right. You guys ready? Once upon a time... A young queen sat sewing by her window on a snowy winter's day, and she pricked her finger with the needle, and three drops of blood fell into the snow on the windowsill. And she thought to herself, Oh, that I could have a child who was as white as snow, and as red as blood, and as black as the wood of this window frame. Well, a short time later, she gave birth to a beautiful baby girl who was as white as snow, and as red as blood, and as black as ebony wood. And the queen named her child Snow White and then died having given birth to her. Well, a year later, the king took for himself a new wife. And she was a beautiful woman, but she was also proud and vain and arrogant. And she had a magic mirror. 
Every day she would stand before her mirror and ask, Mirror, mirror on the wall, who in this land is the fairest of them all? And the mirror would reply, You, my queen, are the fairest of all, and she would be satisfied. However, on Snow White's seventh birthday, the queen once again stood before her magic mirror and asked her question, but this time the mirror replied, You, my queen, are fair, it is true, but the young Snow White is yet more fair than you. And she became green with envy, and she knew that she would have no rest until Snow White was dead. So she called to her side a huntsman, and she ordered him to take Snow White far into the forest and to kill her and bring back her lungs and liver as proof that she was dead. So the huntsman did as he was told, and he led Snow White far, far into the forest, and he took out his knife and was just about to plunge it into the child's heart when she fell to the ground and and began to weep and begged him to have mercy." She was so lovely that the huntsman took pity on her and told her to run off into the forest and to never come back. And as the huntsman was returning to the castle, a wild boar crossed his path. And so he killed the boar instead and cut out its lungs and liver. And this is what he presented to the queen as proof of Snow White's death. And the queen gave the organs to her chef and had them cooked up with a little salt and pepper. And that is what she ate for her dinner that night believing that it was the organs of her stepchild. Because the Grimm brothers. Well, meanwhile, Snow White ran and ran through the forest until it began to get dark, and she came across a little cottage. She knocked at the door, but nobody entered, so she let herself inside. And there she found a little table with seven little plates and seven little cups. And she ate a little meat from each plate, and she drank a little wine from each cup. And feeling very tired, she decided to go find the bedroom, and there she found seven little beds. And though she tried every bed, it wasn't until she lay down on the seventh one that she found it was just right, and she fell promptly asleep. Well, that night, the owners of the cottage returned, and it was the dwarves who spent their days mining for gold in the mountains. And they were very surprised to find that somebody had been eating from their plates and drinking from their cups. And of course, when they went into the bedroom, they saw the child there fast asleep, and she was so lovely that they couldn't stand to wake her. So instead, they all just kind of gathered around and stared at her for a little while. And eventually Snow White woke up and she was very frightened because that's super creepy. (laughs) But the dwarves told her, do not be afraid. We won't harm you. How have you come to be in our cottage? And Snow White told them about how her stepmother had tried to kill her. And the dwarves told her that she was perfectly welcome to stay with them as long as she did the cooking and the cleaning and the mending and all of the things that a lovely young girl should do. Uh, So Snow White, thinking she was not going to get any better offers, agreed. Well, meanwhile, back at the castle, the queen once again stood before her mirror and asked, Mirror, mirror on the wall, who in this land is the fairest of them all? And the mirror replied, You, my queen, are fair, it is true. But over the mountains where the seven dwarves dwell, young Snow White is still alive and well. And she became furious, realizing that the huntsman had tricked her. She vowed that she would find a way to kill Snow White once and for all. So she dressed herself as an old peddler woman, and she traveled through the forest until she came to the cottage, and she cried out, Wares for sale, beautiful wares for sale. 
And Snow White came to the door and asked what she was selling. And the queen pulled the most beautiful silken stay laces out of her basket. And they were so beautiful that Snow White had to have them. So they agreed on a price. But the queen said, you look a fright, child. You must let me lace you up like a proper young lady. And Snow White agreed and she laced her. But she laced her so tight that Snow White could no longer breathe. And she fell to the ground as if dead. Luckily, the dwarves returned home not long after, and they immediately saw what was the problem, and they cut off the stay laces, and Snow White was revived. When she told them what had happened, they immediately knew that it was none other than her wicked stepmother that had tried to kill her, and the dwarves told her, you must not let anybody else into this cottage, and Snow White agreed. Well, thanks to her magic mirror, soon the queen realized that she had once again failed. So she concocted a new plan, and using witchcraft, which she knew well, she created a beautiful diamond comb, and it was a beautiful, beautiful comb, but the tines were poisoned. And once again, she traveled across to the cottage and called out, Wares for sale, beautiful wares for sale. And Snow White came to the window and said, I'm sorry, but the dwarves have forbidden me to let anybody in. And the queen said, That's fine. I can show you what I have from here. And she pulled out the comb, and it was the most beautiful comb that Snow White had ever seen, and she desperately wanted it. So they agreed on a price. But the queen said, oh, but you look a fright, child. You must let me comb your hair like a proper young lady. And Snow White agreed, and the queen began to comb her hair. But one of the tines pricked her scalp, and she fell to the ground as if dead. Luckily, the dwarves arrived home not long after. And after they searched Snow White, they found the comb. And as soon as they had removed it from her hair, Snow White was revived. And the dwarves said, seriously, Snow White... You've got to stop letting people into this cottage. So she said, okay. Well, the queen soon realized that she had once again failed, and this time she knew that she would find a plan that would not fail. And she went down to the darkest depths of the castle where she did her most evil deeds, and she created an apple that was white on one half and red on one half, and it was the most beautiful, delicious-looking apple that had ever been created. And she once again traveled across the forest to the cottage where Snow White lived, and once again called out, "'Apples for sale!' And Snow White came to the window and said, I'm sorry, the dwarves have forbidden me to let anyone in. And she said, the queen said, that's fine. I only wondered if you might want this delicious looking apple. And Snow White thought, oh, that is a good looking apple. But I have had really bad luck lately with these old peddler ladies. So I'd better not, but thank you. And the queen said, but are you afraid of poison? Here, I will cut the apple in half. And I shall eat the white half, and you shall eat the red half. For only the red half was poisoned. And when Snow White saw that she was eating it, she thought it could not possibly be harmful. And so she took a bite of the apple, and no sooner had the bite passed her lips than she fell to the ground dead. And the queen cackled to herself, as evil queens do. And she returned to her castle and stood before her mirror, and she asked her question, and this time the mirror replied, You, my queen, are the fairest of them all. And at last, her heart was at peace. Well, when the dwarves came home that night, they searched Snow White and did everything they could think to revive her, but she would not wake up. And so they sat and they cried over her for three days. But Snow White always went on looking as if she were merrily sleeping. And the dwarves thought, we cannot possibly bury her in the cold, dark ground. 
So being expert craftsmen, the dwarves built for her a beautiful glass coffin, and they put the child in the coffin, and they set it into the forest meadow so that even the creatures of the forest could come and mourn for her. And years passed, but Snow White always went on looking as though she were merely sleeping. Until one day, a prince happened to be wandering aimlessly through the forest. If you read many fairy tales, you might know that's what princes do. And the prince saw Snow White in her coffin, and he thought, she is the most lovely thing I have ever seen. I love her dearly. And he begged the dwarves to let him take Snow White back to his castle. And the dwarves took pity on him and agreed. And the prince knelt before her coffin and gave Snow White a romantic kiss. I'm lying. That did not happen at all. Instead, what happened was that the prince told his servants to take Snow White and the coffin back to the castle. And so his servants hoisted the coffin up on their shoulders and they began marching back to the castle. But one of the servants tripped and the coffin went flying and crashed and the apple burst out of Snow White's mouth. Because all she needed was the Heimlich maneuver. And Snow White woke up and looked around and thought, my goodness, where am I? And the prince said, you are with me, and I love you dearly. You must come back and be my bride. And thinking that was a better offer than staying with the dwarves, Snow White agreed. Well, on the day of the wedding, the evil queen once again stood before her mirror, dressed in her finest gown. And she asked, mirror, mirror on the wall, who in this land is the fairest of them all? And the mirror replied, You, my queen, are fair, it is true. But the new queen is a thousand times more fair than you. Burn. <laughs> and she became livid, and she knew she had to see this new queen. So she went to the wedding, and when she saw that it was none other than Snow White, she became frozen with fear, for she was sure that she had killed the child. Well, Snow White and the prince had been expecting her, and they had had a pair of special iron shoes crafted. And all day, those shoes had been sitting in the hottest coals of the fire until they were glowing red hot. And the queen was forced to strap the shoes onto her feet and dance as their wedding entertainment until she fell down dead. The end. Thank you. Would anybody like to ask any questions? Um, for the most part, I have a book of Grimm's fairy tales, um, and those were the ones that I referred to the most frequently. Um, but I would also read uh, variations of the fairy tales from around the world in different time periods, um, and those sort of influence the story to some degree. Um, and there's some influences from Disney as well thrown in there. Um, but, like, for example, a lot of people wonder, like, why China for Cinder? Um, and scholars believe that the earliest recorded version of uh, the Cinderella story is from a story called Ye Shen, which was recorded in 9th century China. Um, so that was what prompted me to set the story in China. It's a great story. She like has this magical fish bones instead of a godmother. 
It's really good. It's totally the story of Cinderella. Um, anyway, so, so I read a bunch of different versions, but for the most part, it was those grim fairy tales that I would read over and over again. Why are the Grimm stories so violent? Uh, one, because that makes them awesome. <laughs> no, I mean, I, that's a really great question, um, and one that I'm sure many scholars have been trying to answer for many, many years. Um, I think a lot of it, these stories were very much meant to sh- show kind of the horrors of the world, and, but show them in a way that was like safe and could be comforting. Like even though sometimes really bad, horrible things happen, that doesn't mean you can't also have your happy ending at the end. Um, so they're very much a comforting tool in a lot of ways. Um, and they, of course, have been around for hundreds and hundreds of years. Um, and so you have a lot of stories, um, like Beauty and the Beast is a great example, where, you know, back in the day, of course, girls were regularly just married off to someone that their father chose for them and didn't always get a choice. Um, And so the story of Beauty and the Beast could be a comfort that even if you were married off to somebody that you don't love, maybe even someone who's horrible, uh, there is still a chance that maybe your love could save him and change him. Um, So a lot of times they they kind of were were treated as stories to, to show that, yes, things can be really bad, but if you're good and you're strong, then maybe you can make them better for yourself. I would love to have these books made into graphic novels. Um, I am a graphic novel fan myself, um, and manga was, like, huge for me when I was a teenager. Um, So, yes, it is something definitely that is under consideration. Um, I don't know that it will ever happen, but it's something that I think would be really, really cool. So, never say never. I think it could happen. Where did the idea for the glamour come from? Um, I don't have like a really easy explanation for that. In the earliest draft of Cinder, they were much more fantasy based. Um, So like, for example, they could throw fireballs and lightning bolts out of their hands. And at some point I was like, that has no basis in science at all. Um, So I thought I should come up with something that I could actually have uh, that still made them frightening but they could have, you know, I could come up with a scientific explanation for. Um, And then there was also, like, something about Cinder in the earliest draft. There was, like, a code word that if you knew the code word for her cyborg programming, then you could control her, but then that wasn't really working, but that kind of, like, gave, inspired the idea of being able to control people. Um, Anyway, so eventually through who knows what process, um, I came up with this idea that maybe the Lunars could brainwash and manipulate people using their minds. Um, And so from there, I just kind of started to do research on mind control and different real-life, real-world experiments that have been done and found that um, if you like stimulate the brain using electric impulses um, in certain places, you can, in fact, change the way that people feel. You can change their emotions. You can make them see things and hear things. Um, and so that was where this idea of using bioelectricity came from in order to accomplish that. How do you balance writing with either reading 
Uh, <laughs> um, well, I mean, November, this is a different month than usual. This month is not like my normal life um, because I am on tour and that makes it very difficult to do anything. Um, but I do write on the airplanes a lot. And if I have a couple hours in the hotel, I'll write then. Um, it's just like with anything, you have to kind of pick and choose your priorities. And for me, writing is often a priority, but sometimes taking a nap is a priority. Um, so it just kind of varies. Um, in my, my normal life, when I am not on tour, um, we, we do have two young children. We have um, one-year-old twins, um, but we have a nanny that comes four days a week. Uh, so I know that those are the hours that I am going to go into my office and I am going to write. And you just have to be kind of focused and, and dedicated about it. Um, yes. First, I'm going to address, um, definitely for many of these old stories, the, the girls kind of come across as these weeping violets, just waiting for someone to save them. And I was not interested in writing that story. Um, I will say there are fairy tales in which that is not the case. Um, Hansel and Gretel, uh, Gretel is the one that saves her brother. Um, and that story, um, there's also a really great old version of Little Red Riding Hood where she tricks the wolf and is able to get away herself without any woodsman or any of that coming along. Um, so there are versions in, in fairy tales in which, you know, girls can save themselves. Um, but for me, you know, Cinderella, Rapunzel, Snow White, these are all examples of stories in which they are rescued by a prince. Um, and again... I have no interest in that. I want to write characters that I think are really interesting. I wanted to write girls that had goals and motivations and dreams that went beyond simply getting a boyfriend, finding love. Um, not that that's not important. I'm a big fan of the romance aspect. Oh, thank you. Um, but I didn't want that to be the number one direction of the story. Um, and a lot of that is just as a reader... Those, that's the stories that I like to read. Um, so it was definitely me taking the fairy tales, but then giving them, you know, strong, interesting characters to work with within them. Did that answer your question? Um, I don't feel that the men or Prince Kai even is are weak at all. Of course, this is one of those things that is totally open to reader interpretation. So you're not wrong. Um, but for me, I mean, Prince Kai, he has so many things to deal with and so many responsibilities that many of the other characters do not have. Um, and so I feel like he, more than any of them, is struggling with being torn between, you know, these these what he wants and also what he feels is best for his country. Um, so I actually think that he, he shows a great deal of strength. Um, and the fact that he wants to run off with Cinder, he wants to, you know, tell the queen to go, you know, <laughs> do something inappropriate for children's events. Um, you know, the fact that he doesn't do that because he knows that he has to cater to her in order to protect his country, I think that shows a great deal of strength from him. Right here. Um, what was your favorite book to write? What was my favorite book to write? 
I don't know. I don't know that I really have one. There are moments of every book that I really enjoyed. Um, and then there were moments of every book that were really challenging for me. Uh, but I do feel that I am most proud of winter. I feel like um, it was the most difficult, but in the end, I feel like I accomplished the most with winter. Um, so now looking back, I don't know. I don't know that I would even say that it's my favorite book in general. I mean, because I, I love them all for their own ways, but um, but I'm definitely the most proud of winter. Standing. What's my favorite what? Oh, I'm a first season girl all the way. Um, so she asked what my favorite arc of Sailor Moon is. Um, and I know lots of you in the audience are like, what on earth does that mean? <laughs> um, so Sailor Moon is this great anime that I was super obsessed with when I was a teenager. And I wrote like tons of fan fiction for. Um, and yeah, for me, the the first season or the first, uh, I don't know how many manga it took to get to that point. Um, but everything that takes place before Sailor Moon and Tuxedo Mask decide like to figure out who they are is like my, I just lived for that because I so badly wanted them to fall in love without knowing about like all of the reincarnation and their past lives and they're actually soulmates. And I really loved the idea that they were totally normal human beings who also had these secrets um, that, that found a way to love each other without knowing the secrets. For those of you who are like, I have no idea what she's talking about right now. Sailor Moon is amazing and you should go watch it. Let's see. Um, in the back of the baby. I had a really good plan from the beginning. Um, I had outlined every book before I started writing them. Um, and don't get me wrong, those outlines changed drastically in the actual writing of them. Um, but for the most part, like I knew uh, the major plot points that I was going to hit. I knew generally how the characters were going to uh, meet each other, how, they, how their backstories were all going to kind of overlap and how they all related to each other. Um, and I, I had a pretty good idea of how it was all going to culminate and how it was all going to end. Um, so I, I knew the grand sweeping plot of the series before I started writing it. Uh, with the cinder arm? Yeah. Uh, my biggest sci-fi inspirations are going to be Star Wars and Firefly. <laughs> Yay! <laughs> what, was that for Star Wars or Firefly or both? I don't know. But okay. Um, who's so excited about the movie? Oh, my God. So totally geeking out. Um, yeah, so those were, I mean, those were my loves. Star Wars was huge for me growing up. Um, and then Firefly, obviously more recently, but I just really loved them both. Um, so I very much wanted to try to create that same sort of like epic space opera feel. And then with like Firefly, I just loved how that show just threw a bunch of random people in a spaceship and was like, let's see what happens. Um, and that was pretty much me trying to accomplish the same thing in this series. Um, and then as far as what made me decide to combine these uh, fairy tales and sci-fi to begin with, um, it started many, many, many years ago. Uh, and I entered a writing contest and the girl that was hosting this contest had made a list of like 10 things 
and you had to choose two things from the list, include them in a short story. Uh, and the two things that I chose were to include a uh, fairy tale character and to set the story in the future. And for that contest, I ended up writing this like sci-fi uh, Sailor Moon Puss in Boots Star Wars mashup story, <laughs> which I thought was really awesome. Um, and then I submitted it to this contest, and a couple weeks later, I found out that my story was one of only two stories that were entered into the contest. It came in second place. <laughs> um, but I came away from that thinking that I loved this idea of combining sci-fi and fairy tales, and I couldn't find that it had really been done up to that point. Um, so I just thought, well, maybe I'll write a whole series of these. And that's where it began. One more question. Let's do someone far in the back with the headband. Okay. Are any of the title characters fully human? <laughs> <laughs> um, Cinders. No, they're all. They all have at least a little bit of lunar in them. That was an easy question. Let's do one more. <laughs> right here. It's exactly like asking a parent what child is their favorite. Um, no, actually, I can answer that one. A lot of people ask me which character is my favorite, and that one's really, really tough for me because I love them all so much. Um, but as far as what was my favorite character to write, um, it's got to be Captain Thorne. Yeah. Um, he is so much fun. He's pretty much that character that writes himself, which makes my job really easy. Um, and he's great because even though there were times when I would be like, okay, Thorne, like reel it in. Um, he would be like, uh, no, I'm going to go over here and be awesome. <laughs> you just try to keep up. Uh, and so I could just kind of let him go and do his thing and, this is one of the weird things about writing is that you always, at least for me, and I think for a lot of writers too, you never really feel like you're the one writing it. It's almost like you're watching a movie and just trying to record what you see. Um, and so like with Thorne, there are so many things that he would say that I would then completely forget about. And I would like be reading through it again or revising it or whatever and come across these things that he says and just start cracking up hysterically. And I'm like, where did that even come from? Um, so yeah, he's, he always just made me laugh, which I hope he makes you laugh too. Thank you. <laughs> All right. Thank you guys so much. That's all for tonight's Author on Tour. I'm Darren Foden. We have been podcasting live from the Tattered Cover Bookstore in Denver, Colorado. Stay pod-tuned in the coming weeks as we podcast Authors on Tour.